0: Good morning. I'm reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 8. Um, On your pew Bible, if you want to read along, it's page 800. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God.
1: In case I forget to do so later, I really want to thank David and Whitney. Uh, they were in Atlanta even this morning saying goodbye to Whitney's sister, whom they won't see for a while because of their heading to Colorado. So they got up very early to be here for the 830 service and are still here with us uh, for this hour. We really, really appreciate that. Love you guys. We begin a new series uh, based on Romans 8, What the Spirit Gives Us. A lot of times the book of Romans is, is perceived as the most doctrinaire of all books of Scripture, but then you realize right in the middle of it with Romans chapter 8, it talks all about the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit is mentioned 21 times in this chapter alone, more than any other chapter in all of Scripture. It's a wonderful, wonderful high point, really, of all of the Bible. Romans has been called the cathedral of the Christian faith, and chapter 8 is its innermost shrine. I've also heard the book of Romans being referred to as the ring of the Bible, kind of puts a ring around all of it, explaining all of Scripture. But if it is the ring of Scripture, I would say that chapter 8 is the stone that is set therein. And really, the first two verses that we'll really zero in on this morning in our brief time really, that's the sparkle, I think. It's the gleam of light that you find amidst that ring. And we'll get to that in a moment, but I want to begin by talking about Jurg Gertner, a German young man who was serving in North Africa in 1943 in Rommel's army. They were sweeping across North Africa in the Middle East, but they ran up against Field Marshal Montgomery. And if you know your history, Montgomery overcame and defeated Field uh, Marshal Rommel. And like so many other soldiers, Yurn was uh, captured and handed over to the British, and eventually Jörg went over to America. He was shipped over with many other prisoners of war. He found himself in Fort Denny in New Mexico, and it became a prison camp. Well, he was there for two years, thinking, I am a condemned man. I am here for the rest of my life. I am in prison here in this place. I will never leave. But two years later, he got past a guard, slipped past him, lifted up a fence, crawled under it, and was free. was a fugitive, yes, but was sort of free anyway, sort of. He became a sharecropper and moved from place to place across the country, always wondering what was going to happen. Wherever he stayed, wherever it might have been, he was always waiting for a knock at the door. Whenever he would hear a knock at the door, he would just go pale and wonder, is this it? Is the jig up now? Am I going to be taken back. Later, after being a sharecropper, somehow he lucked his way into becoming a tennis instructor. He was good at tennis over in Germany in his younger days, so he became a tennis coach for a brief time, but then he became paranoid thinking that his bosses would find out really whom he was, and so he left. Sharecropped a little bit more and then eventually became a ski instructor in the Rocky Mountains. And there's a really famous, back in 1952 I think it was, there was a snowstorm up at the Donner Pass in California and there was a train wreck there and there were 200 people who were, who were just held hostage by the snow. They could not find their way out. And a handful of people, including Jörg Gerkner, went on their skis and rescued all 200 of these victims of the snowstorm and the train wreck. But rather than wait around to be listed in the paper as one of the heroes, he panicked and left immediately. Went home, found his wife, said, We've got to get out of here immediately. He had not told his wife what was going on for 20 years. Why do we keep moving from place to place so often? He never told her why. Finally, one day, she said, I cannot take it anymore. You need to explain this to me, or else I'm leaving. And he broke down and finally told her who he was as a prisoner of war, a former Nazi soldier. Well, she said, You need to go to the Department of Immigration and Naturalization and go, hopefully, be found not guilty at this point or be forgiven, and you will be a U.S. citizen. But he still wouldn't do it. Finally, 41 years after being on the run, he he got enough nerve and went to the Department of Immigration and Naturalization, and indeed, they released him, and he became a U.S. citizen. But I want you to think about that. 41 years after going on the run, being a fugitive, being free but really not free. And I remember the first time I read that story, I thought, how many times when he heard a knock on the door did he think this is it? They've been after me, they've been lurking back in the shadows, but now they have found me and I'm going back as a condemned man. How many knocks on the door did he experience like that? And have that shudder of fear inside well you read Romans 1 through 7 and it depicts really kind of a, a, a story of condemnation knocking on your door now condemnation here in the Greek the word is katakrima and the word for condemnation that you find there in really all the New Testament means pressure it means something bearing down on you have you ever had that sense of maybe self-condemnation or guilt and it's just pressuring you it's stalking you it's knocking at your door it's out to find you and to condemn you. Now just to walk through these first seven chapters of Romans, you get this sense of condemnation coming after you. You can start with, with chapter one, where it talks about the rebelliousness of humanity. Chapter one, verse 21, for although they knew of God, they never glorified him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their hearts were darkened. You begin to hear the knock a bit. You go to chapter two, verse one. Darkness exposes their guilt. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Because your heart is darkened, you indeed are guilty. And who's guilty? Well, all of us. Go to Romans chapter three, obviously. Chapter three, verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in this darkened place of guilt and the pressure of condemnation. You go to chapter 5, and sin and guilt and all this darkness is really connected now to death. Chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and this way death came to all people because all have sinned. Knocking a little bit louder. You go to chapter 6, verse 23, many of you know it, for the wages of sin is what? Death. The knock gets louder and louder, and then you get to chapter 7, and you find yourself in this plight as a sinner where you are enslaved, and you don't know what to do about it, and you realize of your own efforts, you can't do anything about it. You get to chapter 7, verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but the very thing that I hate, I do. And he goes on to talk about being caught up in this web of sin and yes of condemnation and he doesn't know how to get out of it to the point if you go down to verse 24 of chapter 7, he cries out, what a wretched man I am, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. I got to tell you, if Paul says that he's a wretched man, I'm in trouble because here is one who's trying so hard to be righteous, and this incredible superstar missionary, and yet he says, I am such a wretched man. What am I to do? And the knock is as loud as ever, this knock of condemnation that's lurking, that's stalking, that seems to be spying on you, ready to pounce, and all of our efforts trying to to get out of this or away from this or be redeemed from it, it just doesn't work. Chapter seven is really a chapter in a minor key, I like to say. It's in this this stern, dark, negative key, but the beautiful thing is suddenly you get to chapter 8, and it's transformed to a major key. This marvelous, brilliant light of the ring stone that we were talking about earlier just starts to shine. And I think the two great verses that you find perhaps in all of Romans is Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, which read, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because though Christ Je- through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death there are two great words there in verse 1 therefore and now what it's saying is now currently because you've submitted to him therefore there is no condemnation condemnation cannot reach you it can no longer push you down no kata crema not a single condemnation why because the spirit has set you th- free through Christ and now we live under God's grace now it's not cheap grace we've talked about this plenty it was costly grace and cost him everything cost him his life and thank God that he did that I love Colossians 2 beginning at verse 13 where it says when you were dead in your sins God made you alive in Christ he forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us But he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Beautiful passage. And many of you know, in the ancient world, when someone paid off a debt, oftentimes it would actually be on a piece of parchment. And they would take that piece of parchment, and they would drive a nail through it, symbolically saying that this debt has now been paid. It is now canceled. And the word that would be written on there was tetelestai. We talked about this back Easter. Te telestai, which means the debt has been canceled. It's the same phrase that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is what? Finished. It is finished. Same phrase. The debt has been canceled. It was used on parchment. You drive it through. Jesus did that himself with his own flesh, having had the nails driven through his wrists and his feet for us. Through him, the debt is forgiven no more condemnation. So the Holy Spirit gives us freedom. It gives us so many other things that we will explore in the weeks to come. But today, thanks be to God, no condemnation because of what Christ did and continues to do for us. Do you realize he's still doing it for us? I thought I had read every Chuck Colson story, but I came across one recently with which I was unfamiliar. It was when he visited a prison in Brazil, and he said it was the most unusual prison in which he ever found himself. He said, I've just never been in another one like it. There was something unusual about it. I knew as soon as I walked in, there was something different, but I couldn't pinpoint what it was. But there seemed to be this sense of peace and joy about all the people in there who were inmates. He said, in fact, the guy who was guiding me around was an inmate who was convicted for murder, and he had the keys. They gave him the keys. And he was guiding me around, and he had this smile on his face and this strong sense of joy. And everybody there seemed to have that. And he took them all around, toured him through all of the inner chambers of that prison, and he said, now listen, we're getting ready to go to the most notorious portion of this prison. It, it's been a torture chamber or an isolation chamber. And he said, there's only one prisoner in there at this point, he said, but we don't have to go there. And Colson said, Sir, I, I've been in, in torture chambers and prisons all over the world. I can, I can handle it. So he led him to this door, and the inmate put the key in the door and started unlocking. He looked at Colson one more time and he said, Are you sure you want to do this? He said, Yes, yes, I'm fine. And slowly he opened the door and he saw the one prisoner in there. And it was this beautiful, large, wooden crucifix that had been crafted by the inmates there. It was a crucifix of Jesus. The lone prisoner in isolation there was Christ himself. And Colston said, that's when I realized there was something so amazing about this prison. He said, and my knowledge of that was capped off all the more when that inmate leaned over to me and said very softly, He's doing time for the rest of us. (laughs) He's doing time for the rest of us. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the incredible news. Jesus continues to do time for you and me. You know what? Whenever we sin, whenever we're guilty of something, whether by thought or action or attitude, whatever it might be, every time we are worthy of condemnation, He does the time for us still. You talk about grace along the journey. There it is. Do you realize that is what he's doing for you even now and continues to do so until your last breath if you are his disciple? No condemnation. Not a single one. He does the time for you. Now can we hopefully not take that so lightly and so cheaply and live it out. Having been pardoned, having been set free as we have sung this morning, will we take that into our hearts? Now, we do not have a crucifix here, a beautiful crucifix symbolizing how we've been set free, but you know what we have? As a physical symbol right here, we have the table. And we can prepare ourselves for this wonderful, wonderful observance. Let's open with prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much that we have the bread and the cup here which says everything about your brokenness for us, your shedding of blood for us. Yes, indeed, you're doing time for us. Yes, at Golgotha so long ago and even now, even now, you do time for us. Oh God, forgive us when we take that so lightly. Help us to celebrate Realize the grand doxology that it is to be your followers, and not just that, but to be set free from sin. And yes, we do ask your forgiveness for our continuing sin, but you have given us a breath of life that lasts way beyond this life itself until the next. Greatest of gifts, O God, for which we offer our humble thanks. Now before we, we come to the table here, I want you to take just a moment of meditation. And I want you to think of something in your own life for which you have been condemning yourself. Something that's been kind of pressuring down on you. Some source of guilt or pain or failure. Maybe it's some sin that you're having difficulty just breaking yourself away from. I want you to take a moment and realize he is doing the time for that sin. He's doing the time for that guilt and he wants that burden of guilt to be lifted from you now. I want you to take just a moment between yourself and Christ and just realize that he wants to remove that burden from you. Let him do that right now as you spend a moment with him silently. Lord, we were once chained up by sin and yet because of you the chains have been broken. We are set free. Help us to embrace that reality for ourselves. Some of us in here might be having difficulty forgiving ourselves for something, oh God, but again we ask that we would reach up for that grace and embrace it for ourselves as you desire us to do. And now, oh God, as we gather together to celebrate your meal, help us to do so with utter thanksgiving for this greatest of gifts, oh God. We thank you for it. We give you praise and honor and glory as we participate and partake of this meal together as a family. We pray these things in your name. Amen.